Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading today from the words of Charles Spurgeon. The title of his message is Struggles of Conscience. It was preached back in 1860 in England and has been put together in a little booklet by that name, Struggles of Conscience, that you can order free from the Chapel Library. That's chapel at mountzion.org. Chapel at mountzion.org. The text is Job 13.23. We did part one last time. Here's part two. We were talking about part two of his message, which was instruction, instruction regarding conscience and whether you should, how you should respond to feelings that you're not ready to be saved or you're too good or too bad or whatever. And he's talking about, he talked about consolation first, then instruction. We're in the middle of that section right now. Practical advice to see our sin. The practical question recurs. And you ask me again, tell me how I can feel the need of my Savior. The first advice I give you is this. Particularize your sins. Do not say, I'm a sinner, because it means nothing. Everybody says that, but say this. Am I a liar? Am I a thief? Am I a drunkard? Have I had unchaste thoughts? Have I committed unclean acts? Have I in my soul often rebelled against God? Am I often angry without a cause? Have I a bad temper? Am I covetous? Do I love this world better than the world to come? Do I neglect prayer? Do I neglect the great salvation? Put the questions upon the separate points, and you will soon convict yourself much more readily than by taking yourself in the gross as being a sinner. I heard of a hypocritical old monk who used to whine out while he whipped his back as softly as he could, Lord, I am a great sinner, as big a sinner as Judas. Well, when someone said, yes, that you are, you're like Judas, a vile old hypocrite, then he would say, no, I'm not. <laughs> and then he would go on again, I am a great sinner. Someone would say, you are a great sinner. You, you broke the first commandment. And he would say, no, I have not. Then when he would go on and say, I'm a great sinner, someone would say, yes, you've broken the second commandment. And he would say, no, I haven't. And the same with the third and the fourth and so on right through. It came to pass he had kept the whole ten according to his own account. And yet he went on crying. He was a great sinner. The man was a hypocrite. For if he had not broken the commandments, how could he be a sinner at all? You'll find it better not to dwell on your sins in the Mass, but to pen them, count them over, look at them individually, one by one. Let me advise you next to hear a personal ministry. Do not sit where the preacher preaches to you in the plural number, but where he deals with you as a man alone. Seek out a preacher like Roland Hill, of whom it is said that if you sat in the back seat in the gallery, you always had a notion that Mr. Hill meant you. If you sat in the doorway where he could not see you, yet you were quite convinced he must know you were there, that he was, he was preaching right at you. I wonder if men ever could feel their sins under some ministers, genteel ministers, intellectual, respectable, who never speak to their hearers as if they did anything wrong. I say of these 
gentlemen, what Hugh Latimer said of many ministers in his day, that they are fitter to dance a Morris dance. Now, that's a traditional English dance performed by men wearing costumes and bells. Fitter to dance a Morris dance than to deal with the souls of men. I believe there are some this day more fit to deliver smart lectures and bring out pleasing things to soothe carnal minds than to preach the word of God to sinners. We lack the like of John the Baptist back again and Boanerges. We want men like Baxter to preach. That's Richard Baxter, the English Puritan minister. To preach as though they might not preach again, as, as dying men to dying men. We want men like John Berridge, the English vicar of Everton, who have pulled the velvet out of their mouths years ago and cannot speak fine words, men that hit hard, that draw the bow and pull the arrow to its very head and send it right home, taking deadly aim at the heart and the conscience of men. We need men that will plow deeply, hitting at the private lusts and at the open sins, not generalizing, but particularizing. We need men who do not preach to men in the mass, but to men in the detail, not to the mob and the crowd, but to each man separately and individually. Do not grow offended with the minister if he comes home too close to you. That's his duty. If the whip goes right around you and stings you, thank God for it. Be glad of it. Let me sit under the ministry of a man who uses the knife on me sometimes, who will not spare me nor flatter me. If there should be flattery anywhere, let it not be in the pulpit. He who deals with men's souls should deal with them very plainly. The pulpit is not the place for fine words when we have to deal with the solemnities of eternity. Take that advice then and listen to a personal, home-smiting ministry. Next to that, if you would know your sins, study much the law of God. Let the 20th chapter of Exodus be often before your eyes. Take with it, as a commentary, Christ's sermon and Christ's speech when he said, He that looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already with her in his heart. Matthew 5.28 Understand that God's commandments mean not only what they say in words, but that they touch the thought, the heart, and the imagination. Think of that sentence of David, Thy commandments are exceeding broad. So I think you will soon come to detect the heinousness of your sin and the blackness of your guilt. If you would know still more, spend a little time in contemplating the fatal end of your sin should you die impenitent. Dare to look downward to that fire which must be your eternal doom unless Jesus Christ saves you. Be wise, sinner, and look at the harvest which you shall surely reap if you sow tares. Let these words ring in your ears. These shall go away into everlasting punishment. Open your ears and listen to the end of this text where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Let a passage such as this be chewed over in your soul. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. These solemn thoughts can help you. Such books as Elaine's book Alarm or Baxter's Call to the Unconverted, Doddridge's Rise and Progress may have a good effect on your mind in helping you to see the greatness of your guilt and by making you meditate upon the greatness of its punishment. 
If you would have a still better and more effectual way, I give you one other piece of advice. Spend much of your time in thinking upon the agonies of Christ for the guilt of your sin. Your sin is never so clearly seen anywhere as in the fact that it killed the Savior. Think what an evil thing that must be which cost Christ his life in order to save you. Consider, poor soul, how black is that vileness which could only be washed out with his precious blood. How grievous are those offenses which could not be expiated unless his body was nailed to the tree, his side pierced, and unless he died in fever and in thirst, crying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Go to the garden at the foot of the Mount of Olives and see the Savior in his bloody sweat. Go to Pilate's hall and see him in his shameful accusations. Go to the hall of Herod's Praetorian guard and see there how the mighty men set Christ at naught. Last of all, go to Calvary and see that spectacle of woe. If these do not show you the blackness of your sin, then nothing can. If the death of Christ does not teach you your need of a Savior, then what remedy remains for a heart so hard and for a soul so blind as yours? I've given you words of instruction. Do not forget them. Put them into practice. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Next topic is discrimination. The work of the Spirit and the work of the devil. You are longing, my hearer, to know your great guilt and to feel your need of Jesus. Take care that you discriminate between the work of the Spirit and the work of the devil. It is the work of the Spirit to make you feel that you are a sinner, but it never was his work to make you feel that Christ could forget you. It is the work of the Spirit to make you repent of sin, but it is not the work of the Spirit to make you despair of pardon. That's the devil's work. You know Satan always works by trying to counterfeit the work of the Spirit as he did in the land of Egypt. Out came Janus and Jambres, and by their cunning and sleight of hand, they have a large piece of, of water brought, and they turn that into blood. Then Moses fills the land with frogs. The ungracious sorcerers have a space cleared, and, and they fill that with frogs. Thus the magicians opposed God's work by pretending to do the same work. The devil will also do that with you. Ah, says God the Holy Spirit, sinner, you cannot save yourself. Ah, says the devil, and he cannot save you either. Ah, says God the Holy Spirit, you have a hard heart, and only Christ can soften it. Ah, says the devil, but he won't soften it unless you soften it first. Ah, says God the Spirit, you have no qualification. You're naked and ruined and undone. Yes, says the devil, it's no use trusting Christ because you have no good in you and you cannot hope to be saved. Ah, says God the Spirit, you do not feel your sin. You're hard to repent because of your hardness. Ah, says the devil. And because you are so hard-hearted, Christ cannot save you. Well, learn to distinguish between the one and the other. When a poor penitent sometimes thinks of destroying himself, do you think 
That is the Spirit's work? It's the devil's work. He was a murderer from the beginning. One sinner says, I'm so guilty that I'm sure I can never be pardoned. Is that the Spirit's teaching? That lie? Oh, that comes from the father of lies. Take heed that whenever you read a biography like that of John Bunyan's Grace Abounding, as you read, say, that is the Spirit's work. Lord, send me that. Or, or that is the devil's work. Lord, keep me from that. Do not desire to have the devil tearing your soul to pieces. The less you have to do with him, the better. If the Holy Ghost keeps Satan from you, bless him for it. Do not wait to have the terrors and horrors that some have, but come to Christ just as you are. You do not lack those terrors and horrors because they are of little use. Let me remind you of another thing. I ask you not to acquaint yourself with your sins so as to hope to know them all because you cannot number them with man's poor arithmetic. Mr. Young, that would be Edward Young, the English poet, in his Night Thoughts says, God hides from all eyes but his own that desperate sight, a human heart. If you were to know only the, the tenth part of how bad you have been, you would be driven mad. You who have been the most moral, the most excellent in character, if all the past sins of your heart could stand before you in their black colors and you could see them in their true light, you would be in hell. It is hell to discover the sinfulness of sin. Do you mean to say that you would go down on your knees and ask God to send you to hell or to drive you mad? Do not be so foolish. Instead, say, Lord, let me know my guilt enough to drive me to Christ, but do not gratify my curiosity by letting me know more. Give me enough to make me feel that I must trust Christ or else be lost. I shall be content if you give me that, though you deny me more. What about feelings? Listen to this next caution, for it is very important. Take care that you do not try to make a righteousness out of your feelings. If you say, I may not go to Christ until I feel my need of him, that's clear legality. You're on the wrong track altogether. Because Christ does not want you to feel your need in order to prepare for him. He wants no preparation. Anything which you think to be a preparation is a mistake. You are to come just as you are today, as you are now, not as you will be, but just now, as you now are. I do not say to you, go home and seek God in prayer. I say, come to Christ now at this very hour, for you will never be in a better state than you are now. You were never in a worse state. That is the fittest state in which to come to Christ. He that is very sick is just in the right state to have a doctor. He that is filthy and begrimed is just in the right state to be washed. He that is naked is just in the right state to be clothed. That is your case. You say, but I do not feel my need. Just so. You're not feeling it proves that you have the greater need. You cannot trust your feelings because you say that you do not have any. If God were to hear your prayers and make you feel your need, you might begin to trust in your feelings and be led to say, I trust Christ because, because I feel my need. Well, that would be just like saying, I trust myself. 
All these things are only popery in disguise. All this preaching to sinners that they must feel this and feel that before they trust in Jesus is just self-righteousness in another shape. Now, I know our Calvinistic brethren will not like this sermon. I cannot help that. For I do not hesitate to say that Phariseeism is mixed with hyper-Calvinism more than with any other sect in the world. I do solemnly declare that this preaching to the prejudice and feelings of what they call sensible sinners is nothing more than self-righteousness taking a most cunning and crafty shape. It is telling the sinner that he must be something before he comes to Christ. The gospel is preached not to sensible sinners, that is, sinners who have a sense of their need, or sinners with any other qualifying adjective, but to sinners as sinners, to sinners just as they are. It is not to sinners as repentant sinners, but to sinners as sinners, whatever their state may be and with whatever their feelings may be. Oh, sinners, mercy's door is flung wide open to you this morning. Do not let Satan push you back, saying you're not fit. You're not fit, and you have all the fitness Christ wants, and there is none at all. Come to him, just as you are. Oh, says one, but you know that hymn of, of heart. The songwriter, he said, all the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. I cannot get that. Let me counsel you never to quote part of a hymn or part of a text of the Bible. Quote it all. Here's what the poet said. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. This he gives you. Tis his spirit's rising beam. That's what the poet said. Come and ask him to give it to you. And believe he will give it to you. Believe my master is longing to save you. Trust him. Act on that belief, sinner, and you shall be saved, or else I will be lost with you. Do but believe that my master has got a loving heart, and that he is able to forgive, and that he has a mighty arm. He's able to deliver you. Do him the honor of not measuring his corn with your bushel. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Today he says to you, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Sinner, if you believe and are not saved, God's word is a lie, and God is not true. Will you ever dream that to be the case? No, sinner, come now with the proclamation of this gospel and say, as the poet, I'll to the righteous, gracious king approach, whose scepter mercy gives. Perhaps he may command my touch, and then the suppliant lives. Perhaps he will admit my plea, perhaps will hear my prayer. But if I perish, I will pray, and perish only there. For you cannot perish, trusting in Christ. The destroying angel shall pass over you if your arms are around the cross and his blood is sprinkled on your brow, though you have no good works or feelings. It is written, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. It is not when I see your feelings about the blood, not when I see your faith in the blood, when I see the blood. Learn to discriminate 
between a sense of sin which would humble you and a sense of sin which would only make you proud. When you have come to say, I have felt my sin enough and therefore I am fit to come to Christ, it is nothing but pride dressed in the garb of humility. Things that keep you from Christ. Let me say one more thing before I am done with you on this point. Anything which keeps you from Christ is sin. Whatever you have which keeps you from trusting Christ today is a sinful thought. The wrath of God abides on you every hour you continue as you are as an unbeliever in Christ. Why should you be asking for a thing which may help to keep you from Christ any longer? You now know that you have nothing good in you. Why not trust in Christ for all? You say, but I must first of all feel more. Poor soul. If you were to feel more acutely, you would find it all the harder to trust Christ. I prayed to God that he would show me my guilt, and I little thought how he would answer me. Why, I was such a fool that I would not come to Christ unless the devil dragged me there. I said, Christ cannot have died for me because I have not felt miserable enough. God heard me. Believe me, I, I will never pray that prayer again. When I began to feel my guilt, I said, I am too wicked to be saved. I found the very thing that I had been asking for was a curse upon me and not a blessing. If you should feel what you ask to feel, it might be the cause of your condemnation. Be wise, therefore. Listen to my master's voice. Do not stay to gather together the fuller's soap, a soap for whitening garments, and the refiner's fire, but come and wash now in Jordan and be clean. Come and do not stop until your heart is turned up with the plow and your soul hewn down with the axe. Come as you are to him now. Will you not come to Christ when he has said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. Will you not trust him? Say to him, Master, I am very guilty. But you have said, Come now, and let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Lord, this mercy is too great, but I believe it. I take you at your word. You have said, Return, ye backsliding children, and I will forgive your iniquities. Lord, I come to you. Now, I do not know how you can forgive me, but I believe you cannot lie. And on that promise I rest my soul. I know you have said all manner of sin is, is, is and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. Lord, I can understand how, how there can be power in the blood to wash away all kinds of blasphemy. But you've said it and I believe it. It is your business to make your own word true, not mine. And you have said, whosoever will, let him come. Lord, I am not worthy, but I do will to come. Or if I do not will, yet I will to will, and therefore will I come, just as I am. I know I have no good feeling to recommend myself to you, but then you do not lack good feeling in me, but you will give me all that I lack. Oh, my dear hearers, I feel so glad that I have such a gospel as this to preach to you. If you have not received it, I pray God the Holy Ghost to send it home to you. It is so simple that men cannot believe it is true. If I were to bid you to take off your shoes and run from here to York, and therefore you would be saved while you would do it at once, and the road to York would be thronged. 
When it is nothing but the soul-quickening words, believe and live, well, that's too easy for your proud hearts to do. If I told you to go and earn a thousand pounds and endow a church with it, and then you would be saved, why, well, you would think the price very cheap. When I say trust Christ and be saved, you cannot do that. It's too simple. Ah, the madness of the human heart. Strange, strange, besotted sin, when God makes the path plain and men will not run in it for that very reason. When he opens wide the door, that's the very reason they will not come in. They say if the door was half closed and they had to push it open, they would come in. God has made the gospel too plain and too simple to suit proud hearts. Make God soften proud hearts and make you receive the Savior. One last section quickly, exhortation. Poor sinner, seven years ago you were saying just what you're saying now, and in seven more years you'll be saying just the same. Seven years ago you said, I would trust Christ, but I don't feel as I ought. Do you feel any better now? When another seven years are come, you'll feel just as you do now. You'll say, well, I, I would come, but I, I don't feel fit. I don't feel my need enough. Aye, and it will keep going on forever until you go down to the pit of hell, saying as you go down, I, I don't feel my need enough. Then the lie will be detected, and you will say, it did not say in the word of God that I might come to Christ when I felt my need enough, but it said, whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. I would not come as I was, therefore I am justly cast away here in hell. Hear me, sinner. When I ask you to come to Jesus as you are, and I give you these reasons for it. Number one, it is a very great sin not to feel your guilt and not to mourn over it, but it is one of the sins that Jesus Christ atoned for on the tree. When his heart was pierced, he paid the ransomed price for your hard heart. Sinner, if Christ had only died that we might be forgiven of other sins except our hard hearts, we should never go to heaven. We have all of us, even we who have believed, committed that great sin of being impenitent before him. If he had not died to wash away that sin as well as every other sin, where should we be? The fact that you cannot cry or sorrow as you want is an addition to your guilt, but did not Christ wash you from that sin, black though it is? Come to him. He's able to save you, even from this. Number two, again, come to Jesus because it is only he who can give you that heart for which you seek. If men were not to come to Christ until they feel as they should feel, they would never come at all. I will freely confess that if I had never trusted Christ until I felt I might have trusted him, I never could have trusted him and could not trust him now. There are times when after I have preached the gospel as plainly as I could, I have returned to my own chamber and my heart has been dead and lumpish, lying like a dog within my spirit. I have thought then if I could not come to Christ as a sinner, I could not come any other way. It's just because the text says sinners with no descriptive word qualifying the sinner, but only that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and sinners alone, that I can hope he came to save me. That's First Timothy one fifteen. 
If it had said that Jesus Christ came into the world to save soft-hearted sinners, I should have said, Lord, my heart is, is like stone. If it had said Jesus came into the world to save weeping sinners, I should have said, Lord, though I press my eyelids, I cannot force a tear. If it had said Jesus came into the world to save sinners that felt their need of him, I should say, I do not feel the need of it. I know I do need you, but I don't feel it. But Lord, you just came to save sinners, and I am saved. I trust you came to save me, and here I am, sink or swim. I rest on you. If I perish, I will perish trusting you, and if I must be lost, I shall be lost in your hands, for in my own hands I will not be in any respect or in any degree whatever. I come to that cross, and under that cross I stand. Thy perfect righteousness, my beauty is, my glorious dress. Come, sinner, to Christ, because he can soften your heart, and you can never soften it yourself. He is exalted on high to give repentance and remission of sins, not merely the remission, but the repentance too. He gives his grace not merely to those who seek it, but even to those that seek it not. He gives repentance not to those who repent themselves, but to those who cannot repent. And to those who are saying, Lord, I, I would, but I cannot feel. I would, but I cannot cry. I say, Jesus Christ is just the Savior for you. He is a Christ that begins at the beginning and does not want you to begin. He is a Christ that shall go to the end. He won't want you to finish. He's a Christ that does not ask you to say Alpha and then he will be the Omega, but he will be both Alpha and Omega. Christ is the beginning and the end, the first and the last. The plain gospel is just this. Look unto me and be saved. All the ends of the earth, Isaiah forty-five twenty-two. But Lord, I, I can't see anything. Look unto me. But Lord, I, I don't feel. Look unto me. But Lord, I cannot say I feel my need. Look unto me, not to yourself. All of this is looking to yourself. But Lord, I, I feel sometimes that I, I could do anything. But a week passes and then I'm hard of heart. Look unto me. Lord, I have often tried. Try no more. Look unto me. Oh, but Lord, you know. Yes, I know all things. I know everything, all your iniquity and your sins, but look to me. Oh, but often, Lord, when I've heard a sermon, I feel impressed. Yet it's it's like the morning cloud and the early dew, and it, it passes away. Look to me, not to your feelings or your impressions. Look to me. Well, says one, but will that really save me, just looking to Christ? My dear soul, if that does not save you, then I am not saved. The only way in which I have been saved and the only gospel I can find in the Bible is looking to Christ. But if I go on in sin, says one, but you cannot go on in sin. Your looking to Christ will cure you of that habit of sin. But if my heart remains hard, it cannot remain hard. You'll find that looking to Christ will keep you from having that hard heart. It's just as we sing in the penitential hymn of gratitude, the song, Dissolved by thy mercy, I fall to the ground and weep to the praise of the mercy I've found. You'll never feel as you ought until you do not feel 
what you ought. You'll never come to Christ until you do not feel that you can come. Come as you are. Come in all your poverty and stubbornness and hardness, just as you are. Take Christ to be your all in all now. Sound your songs, ye angels. Smite your golden harps, you redeemed ones. There are sinners snatched from hell today. There are men who have trusted Christ this morning. Though they scarcely know it, their sins are all forgiven. Their feet are on the rock, and the new songs shall soon be in their mouth. Their goings shall be established. Farewell, brothers, and turn to God this morning. God shall keep you, and you shall see his face in glory everlasting. Amen. Amen. Charles Spurgeon, Struggles of Conscience. Ah, I pray that you'll struggle no more. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun, and the Lord willing, we'll be talking again real soon. Bye-bye.